Hey, hello there. My name is Pastor Ray, and I'm the lead pastor here at Arthur Pentecostal Assembly. And today we begin a brand new series called The Waymaker. And at APA, there's a new song that we like singing together called Waymaker. And the chorus goes like this, Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper, Light in the Darkness. Now over the next few weeks, we're going to look at how God has made a way and will make a way when it seems like there is no way. Perhaps you're feeling like that this morning. Because if you're anything like me, in the last few weeks, my emotions have been a little bit all over the place. I've experienced emotions like frustration, or sadness, or anger, or joy, or hope, or sometimes all of them in the same day. I think we all have. Maybe you're feeling like there's no way out of our current situation. But over the next few weeks, we're going to look at a God that always makes a way when the path doesn't seem so obvious. Now, one of my favorite movie series of all time is the Rocky series. Starring Sylvester Stallone, Rocky is the ultimate underdog movie about a small-time boxer who seems to be going nowhere in life. That is, until he's given the chance of a lifetime to get a shot at fighting the world heavyweight champion. Now, not to spoil the movie for you, but it is 44 years old, Rocky overcomes all doubts and predictions and gives the current champ, Apollo Creed, a true challenge. After getting knocked down multiple times, Rocky refuses to stay down and earns the respect of his opponent and fans everywhere. The fight goes to a draw and the belt stays ultimately with Apollo Creed. But the movie won the hearts of people everywhere and the Rocky theme song became the underdog anthem for many. People just love Rocky. And the love people had for Rocky paved the way for Rocky 2, Rocky 3, Rocky 4, Rocky 5, another movie called Rocky Balboa, the movie Creed where Rocky trains Apollo Creed's son, Creed 2, and now there are rumors of another upcoming Rocky movie where 73-year-old Sylvester Stallone puts on the gloves again. You combine that with the upcoming Creed 3, you now have 10 Rocky movies. That's how much people love this franchise. But how can you not love an underdog that never gives up? The thing is, all of that would have changed if the writers hadn't went with the other ending that they wrote for the first movie. In the alternate ending, Rocky takes a bribe to throw the fight and then takes the money that he gets from that bribe and he walks off into the sunset. No more Rocky movies. Maybe you look at your current story and you wish you had a team of writers that nixed the story ending that you currently have right now and they, and they would write a better ending for you. You wish the writer of your life would change your story. Perhaps it was because of a bad relationship that came with hurt, came with regret. Maybe you've made some bad financial decisions or you've moved to a new town or city that was wrong for you. It was a bad move. Maybe you took the wrong job. If there only there was an author of your life that had an eraser and they could write a do-over or an alternate script. Well, there's good news and there's bad news. The bad news is that some of your story is already written. It's too late to go back into those chapters with an eraser. But the good news is that God is still writing your story and he's not done with you yet. See, the words, the end, are not written on your script. If you're listening to me now, at least. Because the God we serve, as you read through the Bible, we see that he's a miracle worker. But what you need to know is that 
he was a miracle worker, he's still a miracle worker. And with a word, he can change the course of your life, change your story. In Psalm 77, 14, David, the writer of many of the Psalms, he says this, You are the God who performs miracles. Your display, you display your power among the peoples. Notice the tense. You are the God who performs miracles. Not the God that used to. God, you are the way maker. When it seems like there is no way, you make a way. See, I believe this was true three or 4,000 years ago when David wrote this. But I believe it's also true today in 2020. That he is the finisher and the author of our faith. That he is the miracle worker and that he can do more for you in a moment than you can do for yourself striving in a lifetime. Today I want to read to you a number of verses. And there's a lot of verses here, so buckle up. And as, but as you read through the New Testament... You normally read these two stories we're going to look at today as two different stories. But I want to present to you that they actually are one story. And the stories we're going to read this morning are Jesus feeding the 5,000. And the second story is Jesus walking on water. Now, if you grew up in church or you went to Sunday school as a kid, you probably are quite familiar with these two stories. They're kind of famous ones. What we have are two incredible miracles, but right in the middle, you have this situation where many of us find ourselves in. And this morning, we're going to look at what happens when you are between your miracles. So we're going to start at Mark chapter 6, verse 30, and it says this, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going, that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves into a boat, to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. And by this time, it was late in the day. So that his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. And it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to get to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, well, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. And the number of men who had eaten was 5,000. It's an amazing story. It's told in all four Gospels about how this little boy, it doesn't mention in this one, but this little boy brings his lunch forward. And how Jesus feeds thousands and thousands of people with this kid's lunch. 
But then the next story begins. And in your Bible, there might be some separation, like a bolded header that says something like, Jesus walks on water. But the first word in the passage is immediately. It ties the two stories together. This, this story happened, and then immediately this happened. Verse 45 says, Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida, which he dis dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was, on, he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. And shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass them when they saw him walking on the lake and they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they had all seen, saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. And they were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Not, not that they didn't understand about the waves or the storms, the waves or the storm. They didn't understand about the loaves. This is where the story ties together. Then it says, their hearts were hardened. And we're going to spend the rest of our time looking at both of these stories together and determining what that means for us. Now, the first story begins with Jesus and the disciples teaching. And they're kind of worn out. They're tired and they're hungry. And Jesus recognizes this and he tries to help them. So he sends them across the Sea of Galilee in a boat to get some peace and rest. Now, the Sea of Galilee is not a large sea. You can actually see the other side from one shore. So as they're traveling, people on the shore see them. They see the disciples and they start to run to get to where they're going. They're like, we know if Jesus usually hangs with these guys. And so if they're going there, that's where Jesus is going to be. Now there's something we can take from this. They're so desperate to be where Jesus is that they run to where they think he's going to be. There's this sense of expectation that if we can get, get in, that if they can just get into his presence, if they can just get close to Jesus, then maybe they'll be healed. Or maybe he will teach them something about God that they've never heard before that just will change them. Their hearts are just bursting in expectation that they ran to where he might be. Here's what you need to know. The level of expectation that you have for God will determine the level you will receive from God. I challenge you to see your worship time with God like this. Yes, there's no physical church gathering right now, but if your heart is exploding with expectation, where you meet Jesus doesn't matter. You will run to where he is. And where he is is where you're watching right now. Did you begrudgingly log in today to watch because you should? Or did you come this morning or today or whenever you're watching with a sense of expectation that God is going to speak to you through his word today? We need to come thank God, I expect that today you are going to change me, even if it's a baby step. I'm looking for your direction. I'm looking through your word today. Speak to me. The level of expectation sets the level that you're able to receive. Now these people also sensed that when they were in the presence of Jesus, miracles happened. And to this point, Jesus hadn't really done any of his big miracles yet. 
he turned water into wine and there was some healings on the side. But this feeding of the 5,000, this was the one that put him on the map. Because when you fill the bellies of what was more like 15 or 20,000 people, when you include women and children, and you do that with very little food, with very little food, you know that word is going to get out. You know word's going to get around. So you have the disciples in what was supposed to be their place to rest and grab some grub. And all these people show up and Jesus, feeling, feeling compassion for them, begins teaching. And I'm sure the disciples were like, no, 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 we're so hungry. And well, I love Jesus teaching as much as anyone, but when, when this dude starts teaching, it's not like a 30-minute lesson. He goes all day. So we better do something. So they kind of pull this very passive-aggressive move. Instead of saying, hey, Jesus, do you mind if we duck out for a half hour and grab some food? They start blaming the people. And they're like, hey, Jesus, we're concerned about the people. Maybe they should, we should send them off to get some food because they've got to be hungry. We're fine. I mean, we can listen to you all day, Jesus. We can listen to you for hours. But we're, we're thinking about the people. Maybe you could just do a quick devotional or maybe just give a praise report and dismiss them. Again, it's for them, not for us. But Jesus responds back with, you give them something to eat. And they're thinking, you can't be serious. Again, the text says there are 5,000 men, but in this day, women and children aren't counted. But they should be counted because women and children matter to God. So the number is likely more between 15 and 20,000. And for some context, if you've ever seen a crowd at a Leafs game or a Raptors game at the Scotiabank Arena, it holds about 18,000. Imagine Jesus telling you to feed the entire arena. But Jesus is not telling them to feed the crowd. What he's really asking them is, what do you have? Like right now, what do you have? Often when we looked at God, to move in our circumstances, we come believing that we're powerless, that we have nothing to offer the situation. But but can I offer this to you? The pieces that you need for a miracle are always in your midst. We have everything at our fingertips for God to do a miracle in our lives. And so they go looking for food. And if you know the story, they come back with one little boy's lunch, which is five pieces of bread and two fish. It's basically like a fish au filet combo. Do you think... Do, do you think that close to the 20,000 people who are there that this kid was the only one that brought food with them? No chance. And to add to the story, the one bit of food they got came from one of the uncounted. I want you to think of this as well. Who packed the meal that day? Well, it was probably his mom, because in that culture, the women prepped the food. So it was likely his mom. Do you think the mom got up that morning and thought to herself that her ordinary routine, this thing that she was doing, was going to be the beginning and the recipe for a miracle? God can take your ordinary and make it extraordinary. And so this kid gives up what he has, while countless others, they just held on to theirs. I think there's a lot of times that we hold on to what we have because we think it won't make a difference. It's not enough. And all he wants to know is, what do you have? Jesus is just asking, what will you make available? And so they bring it to Jesus. And along the way, the disciples are kind of embarrassed. They're probably having a conversation. And they've already done the math. And they figured out 
that what they have isn't enough to feed even themselves, never mind feeding everyone else. And the cost to feed everyone else, well, that was going to be about half a year's salary. So whatever you make, divide it by two. And that's the cost. So they bring the boys' lunch to Jesus, and they're thinking, it's impossible. But God specializes in the impossible. God actually starts where the possible ends. He, he starts. And so he takes the lunch, and the first thing he does is he gives thanks. This is so important because often when we come to God, we come asking for our need, all the while cursing what we lack. But Jesus doesn't focus on what they lack. He gives thanks for what he has. So important. I'm pretty sure God has a hard time even thinking about blessing you when you aren't thankful for what he's already blessed you with. So Jesus gives thanks to God first, and then he breaks the bread. And he gives back the disciples back less than what they actually gave him originally. And out of this, we can take a couple things away from this. Number one, God never asked someone to do everything. He just wanted everyone to be at peace. Again, God wants you to offer what you have. Let him figure out the details and let him do something with what you lack. The second thing we can take out of this is God uses brokenness to achieve something incredible. So we believe God can't use us because we're broken. But what if brokenness is actually the prerequisite to God using you? Broken people tend to be more humble than those who pretend to have it all together. We think we have to have it all together to have any value, but God uses our scars. God uses our wounds to reach other broken people. Now notice this. The disciples come to Jesus, give him little, he gives thanks, breaks it, hands it back, and the miracle doesn't even happen in Jesus' hands. It happens in the disciples' hands. See, when we give to God what we have, what happens is God uses us and allows the miracle to happen through us. We get to be the one that experiences the impossible come possible. Now here's how the story ends. When everyone has been fed, the text says that there's still enough for 12 baskets. And this number is significant. Each disciple, all 12, leaves with a basket. See, I believe that Jesus knew that the disciples were about to face a storm. He knew they were about to get on that boat and they were going to face a storm. And in the midst of that storm, they would need a reminder that miracles are possible. And that's what the basket would represent. It would be a reminder for them. Because it's so easy to lose sight of past miracles when you need your next one. It's easy to forget what God has done before when it seems like there's no way this time. What has God done in your life already? For many of you, God's already saved you. And while it might not be as flashy as walking on water or turning water into wine, it's more significant. He saved you from death and assured you of eternity. It's your miracle. It's your personal miracle. And for others of you, he's healed you from an illness. Some of you, he's provided finances when all options came up empty. For some of you, he led you out of addiction into a better life because he is the way maker. And that word immediately ties the stories. Because he understands that if we're not careful, we will leave our past miracle in the past and forget them. And Jesus says, 
these little baskets will remind them of what he had just done. Knowing another storm is coming. And apparently the Sea of Galilee has some of the world's worst storms due to the depth of the sea and the height of the mountains that surround it. And there are some scary, scary storms. So he knew in the middle of their next storm, they were going to need a reminder. In the middle of these storms is when true character is revealed. And Jesus doesn't want them to get lost in the scariness of their circumstances and forget about the way maker. Let's face it. We are in the middle of a storm. But it's important to remember that no matter how tough things are, you could be in the middle of your miracles. He's brought you through before. This is no different. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are the way maker. I thank you that nothing is impossible to you. And God, I thank you personally for the miracles that you have performed in my life, where you have, you have saved my life, you have, you have directed my life away from certain things. And so God, I'm just, I'm so thankful. And Lord, I pray for each person out there who have maybe experienced miracles from you in their life that they, in the middle of the storm, that they wouldn't take their eyes off what you've just done, that there would be a reminder, just like that little basket of bread, they would have their own personal reminder of what you've done in the past and what you're going to do because you are the way maker. And so Lord, I pray that uh, we would keep our eyes on you and that we would have the confidence to know that you will make a way when it seems like there is none. In your name we pray, amen.